Amen. Amen. Welcome again, everyone. Glad you're here on this Easter Sunday. Glad to see many of your faces again. That's not a, that's not a stab. Um, that, I know that over the last couple of years, we've all been struggling with so many different aspects of our lives, trying to get out in public, but I'm so glad you're here today. There is this continuing, continuing battle for power in the world. Anybody want to say amen? I mean, we know, we, we recognize it, and we think that it's unique to our day and our age. I mean, we see people like uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia, Xi Jinping in China, Kim Jong-un in Korea, or just take your pick in America. Um, we see this, this grab for power and this idea that an earthly kingdom is what matters. It wasn't that different during Jesus' day, really. A week ago, Palm Sunday, the disciples who are looking for an earthly king, really, they're, they've got a They've got a heart for a Messiah and a belief that this Messiah is going to usher in an earthly kingdom. So much so that they argue about who's going to sit on his right and his left when he actually comes into power. And by the way, don't over-spiritualize that. They're not thinking that when Jesus is on his heavenly throne, they're picturing it as an earthly reality. So they've battled. And a, a week ago today on Palm Sunday... The, the, the palm branches are being waved. Jesus is riding in on a, a donkey. They're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the disciples are thinking, this is it. This is it. Jesus is about to unleash and come into his kingdom. By Friday, every hope that they ever had, as Dave said earlier, has been dashed. It has been ruined with the death of Jesus on the cross. But then comes Sunday, and everything changes. The cross and the resurrection, they have to go hand in hand. There is no resurrection without the cross, but without the cross, without the resurrection, the cross just becomes a good man died. There is something powerful here. Now listen, I understand. I've preached Easter Sunday for 30 Sundays, at least. 30 years in a row. And Easter Sunday comes around and I'm like, well, what am I going to preach on? I think I'll give a sh the resurrection a shot again. <laughs> it's hard to think of something new, except that if we're not careful, it gets old to us. And if we're not careful, we lose what really matters in this. So I, I pray that this morning, as I go through this sermon and read these scripture passages, and let me tell you, I, it took, by the time I'd written this, it took me longer to shorten it than it did to really think about it. 
because the resurrection is that unbelievable and has that many implications for our lives. So I want to I talk first about the reality of the resurrection. Now I know that um, you're here in church. I understand. This is church. And this is a church morning. And this is Easter and we're celebrating the resurrection. But sometimes in the back of our mind, if we're not careful, we get this idea that the resurrection is like a mythological story. That it may or may not have happened and what does it matter if it really did? Would it really change my belief system in Jesus if the resurrection sort of happened or it was just kind of halfway happened, maybe he wasn't completely dead, maybe this happened or that happened. Listen, the reality of the resurrection, our whole faith, as Paul said, everything hinges on this truth. If no resurrection, then what we're doing is just a waste of time. Even Paul hits that home. So, the passage that was read for us earlier, we're in a study of the book of Luke, so I'm hitting the Luke resurrection uh, story this morning. And remember that every dream of the disciples and the followers of Jesus has been shattered. He, was, he died on Friday, which was Passover. It was the beginning of the Sabbath. Uh, we don't, when we think Sabbath, we think Sunday, but Sabbath really was Saturday, sundown to sundown, Friday night to Saturday night. So when he died, all they could do was like wrap him and put some spices on him, but just stick him in a tomb. And a tomb is really like a hollowed out cave. Um, and you'll remember Pilate gets word from the Jewish leaders, hey, Jesus said something about raising from the dead, so you might want to guard the place because maybe his followers will come steal his body and claim he got raised from the dead. Here's a, first, here's a point to think about. Isn't it incredible that the Jewish leaders listened more to the teaching of Jesus than his own followers? I mean, because they're going to come to the grave, and they're shocked by the whole thing. They don't remember any of it. You wonder if I'm telling the truth. Listen to this passage. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, this is the women, they've gone to the grave. They find the stone rolled away. The tomb is empty, and they're like, what is going on here? And they're wondering about this. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember, they're saying, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The angel reminds them, hey, remember what Jesus said? Up until this point, they don't remember. Now they do. Then they remembered his words. Listen, this is a whole different sermon, and I'll try and stay on task this morning because I know we all have... Uh, lunch, and you can pray for me because I'm supposed to be grilling out uh, for lunch today, and uh, surely you can hear the thunder uh, roaring in the background, but we all have lunch plans, I understand. But this truth, if you, this may be the truth you take away from the, today. You will live a life of loss until you remember the words of our Lord. You will live a life of less until you remember his words. 
Too often, his words get lost on us. We forget them. We dismiss them. We turn away from them. They remembered his words, and it changes everything. When they came back from the tomb, the women, it was a group of women. We always do two readers, but it's four or five women listed there. Again, they're going to prepare you know, the, the body for burial because they couldn't on Passover night. They had to wait till Sunday morning. When they came back from the tomb, and it's as usual. It's just like this in my house. The women are doing all the work. The men are back home, right? When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Here's the list. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. They leave. They report. What do the men do? They do not believe the women. Again, a lot of comments here I could make. (laughs) Because their words seem to them like nonsense. These are the guys that are going to change the world. These are the 11, the apostles. Nah, I don't buy it. They're like, ah, I don't think so. These women must just be in hysterics or something. Peter, however, being Peter, he gets up and he runs to the tomb. I'm going to see for myself. (laughs) Bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away full of faith. No. Jesus, he was going outside. He is risen. He is risen indeed. No, no. He left going, what is this? People, the reality of the resurrection is critical for our faith. And it's so hard to believe that even his own followers could remember what he told them. Their initial reaction was not, yes, he's been raised. Their initial reaction was, oh, oh, wow, this is crazy. When we easily dismiss the reality of the resurrection or we question it, we, in some ways, I think we stand in a long line of people of faith who have done it before us. Because it takes faith to believe this. But it is critical. On June 17, 1972, about a mile and a half from the White House, five men broke into an office building that was owned by the Democratic National Committee. It was a re-election year, and these five men broke in, and they got caught. They got arrested. Well, it turns out the five guys, the five men who got arrested, were employees of the campaign to re-elect the president, the sitting president, President Richard Nixon. Now, I've told this story before, but I had a part in bringing down the president. Uh, I delivered the Washington Post for those years, (laughs) for those two years. So I I tell people all the time, yeah, I brought down a sitting president. All I did was deliver a paper. But for the next two years, the country becomes embroiled in what what has happened here? Now, there's been a lot of debate on whether Richard Nixon knew about the break-in before the break-in happened. But there is no doubt 
that once he learned of it and that they were employees of his committee, he covered it up. The word Watergate has come to mean every single possible scandal ever thought of since 1972. Watergate is entitled Watergate because that was the name of the office building the guys broke into. It's hard for me to believe, but there are many of you. Who, how many of you are born after 1972? So they've heard the term Watergate, but they were not there to experience. I'm in the minority now. <laughs> not only was I alive, but I brought down the president. Charles Colson was an attorney for President Nixon. He was literally in the room where it happened. He was there. That was for you, Lou. I thought I'd throw that out there. My Hamilton reference for the day. Thanks for those of you who got it. All right. Charles Colson was an attorney for the president. He was in that room where the cover-up occurred. And later in life, Charles Colson is going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he basically says this. Watergate proves the Bible is true. And I'm like, what? How does that happen? He said this. The lesson of Watergate is that a lie cannot live for long. He said there were less than 10 people who knew what had happened, 10 of the most powerful men in the world, and with all that, that power, they could not contain a lie for more than two weeks. He said, applying the Watergate scandal to the New Testament to current suggestions that accounts of Jesus' resurrection were a conspiracy perpetrated by his apostles, Colson insists there is no possible way that for 40 years, under the threat of imprisonment and death, imminent death, all the apostles, according to tradition, other than John, died a, a persecuted death. He says, take it from one who was involved in conspiracy, who saw the frailty of man firsthand. There is no way the 11 apostles who were with Jesus at the time of the resurrection could ever have gone around for 40 years proclaiming Jesus' resurrection unless it were really true. Now, this is just, this is a logical argument toward the reality of the resurrection, looking at the nature of man. Paul puts it in a, Paul puts it in another way. He says this in Corinthians, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's giving us the straight out, right? He said, I'm, I'm giving you the gospel message. But then he goes on, And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. By the way, fallen asleep is not that they went to sleep. This is a euphemism for they're dead. Um, but he's saying, hey, Jesus appeared to, yeah, my cookout's looking worse and worse, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Jesus appeared to these uh, the, the apostles, and then to 500 people, most of whom are still alive. He's basically saying, listen, if you don't believe me, go to Jerusalem and look for these 500 people. They can tell you they saw Jesus alive. He's giving proof. There are people who saw it. And then he goes on, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. 
There is a critical nature to the reality of the resurrection. This is not some myth. This is not some story. We have to begin with this truth. Jesus is raised from the dead. What are the implications of this? Well, first has to do with the restoration that comes through the resurrection. Romans says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. All right, you know this, but stay with me just for one second. Adam, first Adam, sins. He's in the Garden of Eden, and as a result of his sin, what happens? Death enters the world. Now, we're going to talk about death, physical death. But really what Paul is saying that death entered is that, that death entered and death was the end because of sin. Because of sin, no life eternal. Because of sin, once we die, that's it. It's over. And in case you think, oh, I haven't really sinned. Yeah, you have. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's stick to the Bible uh, listen, most of us don't need this to know that we've sinned. We can think of yesterday or the day before on the drive here or sometime uh, recently where sin has been something we've participated in. It's not, I don't have to argue toward, you, you may think your sin is not as bad as someone else's sin, but God sees sin as sin. Universal. All of sin. And, by the way, the wages of sin, which we've all done, is death. So, because of Adam's sin, death enters the world. We, we think, oh, well, Adam would have lived forever on the earth. I, I, I'm not positive on this theology, but for sure, once Adam ended his time on earth, there would have not been this hope for eternal life. So, when I'm talking about the, the restoration of the resurrection, I'm talking about the restoration of hope future. Hope, life eternal. Because here is what Paul says, for Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Here's Paul's argument. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we have a restored hope for eternal life. Without the resurrection, no eternal life. With the resurrection, eternal life. This has been restored. Because, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. There's this hope for eternal life. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a hope that this is not the end. Here's what's critical. Without the resurrection, the physical, real resurrection of Jesus, this life is all there is. This is it. Death, boom. Those who say, you know, there are a lot of people going around claiming, hey, this biological period of time in which I'm alive, that's all there is. And they're right. Without Jesus, this is it. Without the resurrection, people, listen to me critically, without the resurrection of Jesus, this life is it. With the resurrection of Jesus, though, 
there is this promise of eternal life for those who put their faith and trust in him. Praise God. We should, you know, this is where we should say, hello, you know, I raise a hallelujah. We should start singing again. It's unbelievable how good this news is. You see, this, this is the day that death died. What we celebrate today is the death of death because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is a restored hope. It comes to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. But here's where I think the rubber meets the road. This is, this is the, revel the revelation of the resurrection. It has to become personal for every one of us. It has to become personal for you. So we see the women going to the tomb. Jesus is alive. We see the doubt of the apostles who will then become the foundation stone, so to speak, of the proclamation of the word in the book of Acts. We see that we have a hope for eternal life, but this matters for how I live now. This is not just about heaven. I don't know about you, but I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Anybody? I mean, if those are the two endpoints, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. I'd also, I like the hope that there is something more after I die. I am so grateful that this life, as good as it is, is not all there is. But at the same time, there is this revelation about who I am now. In, a, in other words, it's not just about then, it's about now. The resurrection impacts who I am now, let me just walk you through it. Ephesians 2 says this. As for you, personally, and all of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Right? Apart from Christ, you're dead. Now, <clears throat> here's the truth of, the, of, of humanism. Just taking a side point real quick. We got a moment. The truth of humanism is that you were not dead, but like in The Princess Bride, you were kind of mostly dead. You know, I'm not, he's not all the way there, he's just mostly dead. Which means there's this spark of stuff in me that can restore me if I just work at it real hard. I am a perfect whatever I am. That's what my eighth grade algebra teacher told me. You're a perfect whatever you are. Uh, well, I'm a perfect loser then. <laughs> That's how I felt in eighth grade algebra. No, there's no spark of life in me. I'm dead, according to the Bible, in my transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I'll try not to get bogged down here. But when I was dead in my transgressions and sins, I had no choice but to follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who, who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? Satan. The world and the devil were my masters. I had no choice. I, I look around, and you do too, and you say, how can people all be following this culture that is like leading us to, to get dashed on the rocks. I mean, doesn't it seem obvious 
that if we keep following this line of thinking, and I won't be specific, you can fill in the blank. I could fill in the blank to help us. But if I keep following this culture, the way it's going, it's going to crash and burn? Yes. Why are so many people following it if it's so obvious? Because they can't help it. They're following the ways of the world. The world's culture determines the way they think. Because, I, I, I hate to use the living dead or zombie movies or whatever in church, but it's like that. They're dead in their transgressions and sins, so they have no choice but to follow the ways of the world and the devil. And if that wasn't bad enough, and all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We're following the world, we're following the devil, and another way of putting this, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, is I can't help it because that's what I like. The flesh. The flesh. This little girl, she, she, she kicked her little brother and pulled his hair. Her mother came, comes to her and says, Susie, why did you let the devil make you kick your little brother and pull his hair? She said, well, the devil made me kick him. Pulling his hair was my idea. <laughs> you know, we're like that. We, we, we look around and we're saying, why do all these people... Why do I follow the cravings of my flesh? You know, things like, things that give our flesh satisfaction, whether it be sexual gratification like porn or some other thing, whether it be drugs, whether it be people's approval, whether it be job satisfaction, whether it be whatever it might be that says it, something in me, says, it strikes a chord and says, this makes you feel good. This makes you feel better. Do it. You have the right. We have this combination in death, spiritual death, of following the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can't help it. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, did what? He made us alive. With Christ, even when you were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. Here's the gospel. And when it says made us alive, this is another way of saying resurrection. You have been resurrected. Just as Jesus was resurrected, you've been resurrected. This is great news for us now. I no longer have to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm no longer, they're not my masters. Instead, I'm alive and I can say no to these things and yes to him. See, Christianity and the resurrection, Easter, is not just about I get to go to heaven rather than hell. It's not even about just the hope of after I die, there's more. I am free now to not sin. You may say, I don't think so. I've heard you. <laughs> You're not free to not sin. No, no, no. Sin, I'm going to still stumble in sin, but sin is not my master. I'm no longer enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. By the way, this is the latest book by John Mark Comer. He talks a lot about live no lies. What we as Christians, the lie that we live is that we're still imprisoned to the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is really what deliverance is all about. 
you are delivered from this death life that tells you you have to live this to walk in truth, freedom, life. Yeah, you're going to mess up, but you still are a recipient of the grace of God because you've been saved. Not only that, but God raised us up with Christ and seated us. By the way, I'm just staying in Ephesians 2 right here. You can just write this passage down, go read it later. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I know I'm going fast. I'm... Here's, here's the truth. This is, this is unbelievable too. Not only am I free now to not have to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil, but in a spiritual sense, where am I? I'm seated with Jesus. When you go home today, you're sitting around, you probably won't think, I am seated with Jesus. This probably won't be your first thought. You know, as you're reclining, cooking out in the weather. I'm cooking with Jesus. <laughs> you know, you're not thinking about where you are in a spiritual sense, but that's where you are. You have the resurrection and ascension power of God in Christ at work in your life right now. And it should blow your minds to say, this is not all, this is not, this is not just it. Now, I love, we love this passage, and we generally stop right here. And usually on Easter Sunday, I would stop right here. This idea that I was dead, couldn't get alive. How, how many dead things can make themselves alive again? None, many. None. Zero. Zilch. Not Whatever. None. So God made you alive. It's by his grace you've been saved. You couldn't work your way from death to life. Only God, through Jesus, could do it for you. But here's what Paul goes on and says in the very next verse. For it is grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You got it? You can't get saved by works. Hello? You can't get saved by works. But then he goes on and says, but we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, what God prepared in advance for us to do. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm so confused. If I can't work my way to salvation, then what is this whole thing about good works? In the next verse, well, he's saying, listen, by grace you've been saved, through faith, couldn't work your way to life, but now that you're alive, you are God's masterpiece. Created in advance to give him glory and do good works. I don't think works and grace in any way stand opposed to each other. They go right hand in hand. Listen, just think about this. Think about the joy of your work for just a second. The joy of your work. Does your work bring you joy? Well, if you're walking in the resurrection life of God, and seated with God in Christ Jesus, then everything you do should bring you joy. It should be a part of the joyful, normal Christian life. Now, here's why your job doesn't probably bring you joy. 
without going into too much of this, only over the last probably 150 years have people even thought about choosing a job that would bring them some sense of both satisfaction and meaning. Hello? I mean, 150 years, think 1700s. Some little farmer boy sitting on the farm thinking, I want to choose a career that brings me joy and satisfaction. What can I do? No. What is he thinking about? I got a farm so we can eat. Survival was what work was about till about 100, 150 years. Only the elite of the elite could choose what their jobs were. Now we have 20s and 30s and 40-somethings frozen in their life because they're thinking, i got to find a job that brings me meaning. If I don't find the right job, my destiny in God is unfulfilled. If, if, if this doesn't happen, I, I, I can't live a joyful Christian life. No, no, no. Paul is saying, you find joy in what you do when God provides the means for which you live. And you're going to, whatever you put your hands to, let it prosper. Do it under the Lord. Let it bring you joy. That's part of the message of the resurrection, is that life should be filled with joy. If you were here Thursday night, Gabe did a great job of unfolding this idea that, that the love of Christ instills love in us and the joy of Christ instills joy in us. In this life, we will have troubles, but take heart. Jesus said, I've overcome the world talks about our joy being complete. Now, for many of us, we think of joy as a future tense aspect. Okay, earlier, Pastor Bart, you talked about when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and then in heaven, my joy will be made complete. I think Jesus is talking about the resurrection is this good. When it happens, your joy is going to be full. You can find joy in your job. You can find joy in school. You should be able to find joy in your relationships. You can find joy. Why? Because the resurrection of power of Jesus, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you now. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, open, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Glorious inheritance in the saints and this incomparably great power that is available to those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty hand when he did what? Raised Jesus from the dead. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I can know the hope to which you've called me, the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for all of us who believe. And if you think that That's some future thing. Paul ends that prayer with this. He's placed all things under his feet. Given that power to the church, which is the, by the way, fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's where our name comes from. We are the fullness of God. As the church of Jesus Christ, may the eyes of our heart may be open. Here's my, here's my prayer as the worship team comes back up. Here's my prayer for us today, this. Number one, receive the reality of the resurrection. It really happened. Number two, 
Let Jesus and this reality be the Lord of your life. Let his, his resurrection power get infused in me today so that I can move, if I haven't, from death to life. There's no other way here, people, by the way, the Bible says. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no way to move from death to life apart from Jesus. If you're here today and you've never received this, power of God, resurrection power in your life, I pray that it happens. If you have, but you are living, if you're living a less than life, a life in which you're still saying too many times yes to the world, the flesh, and the devil, quit walking in those lies and receive the truth of God that the resurrection power is at work within you, that you are no longer a slave to sin, but you can walk in life and godliness. He's given you everything you need to walk in life and godliness. The resurrection power of God is here for you. And it shouldn't be a drudgery, people. We should be as happy and joyful every day as we are when we come to church on Sunday, on Easter Sunday morning. Every day should be lived out like that. Here's what I want you to do. In the seat back in front of you is a card. It's called a connection card. If you're sitting on the front row, there is no seat back, but somebody behind you will give you a card. I'm going to ask every single person to take a card out. So, unless you're just rebellious, get a card. <laughs> and if you are rebellious, then great news. You're at the right place. You need Jesus. <laughs> take a card out. You don't have to put your name on it. I'd love if you want to. Here's the things I want you to put on this card. Number one, if you have any prayer requests, you can just put those down. We'll pray for those this week and then put your name on that one. But here's what I want you to put. I want you to be honest. Where do I stand with Jesus? Is he the Lord of my life? Or have I never received him? Have I received him, but I'm not living the joyful Christian life? But I want to live more? Or I'm walking in the power of God, which is fine, because I know there are a lot of people here who are, but I want even more. Wherever you stand with Jesus, this is, this is for you, but you're going to present it this morning before God. You're going to give it to him. Do you understand what I'm asking? Asking you to put where... And you might even change the way it's worded. That's fine. Where do I stand with Jesus right now? Where am I? If you want to put your name to it, that's fine. We won't reveal it. We'll just pray for you. If you don't, you want to be anonymous, that's fine too. While you sing, while you sing this, while you write this, the worship team has written a song called The Weekend Song, which is a, a song about uh, this weekend. The hopelessness and the occurrence of Friday that moved into the silence of Saturday and the joy of Sunday. Just stay seated while they sing this over you. Just listen to the words. You might add some things to your card. After they're finished with this song, they're going to sing another song, and we're all going to stand up. We're going to worship and bring our cards to the front as an act of worship before we're dismissed this morning. So just worship, first of all, by 
joining in and listening to this weekend song. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We glory in you. You're a great God and greatly to be praised. And I pray that this morning, Spirit of God, you would move in people's hearts and lives and draw them to the name of Jesus. To know that without you, O oh Lord, there is no life eternal and there is no joy in life right now. Or at least that joy will be limited to our circumstances. May we stand in faith before you. Spirit of God, move in our hearts and lives so that we can fully experience the joyful Christian life.
stand together as we continue in worship I invite you to bring those cards forward to the offering plates up here as well as if you have an offering or tithe to give but we're just going to go out declaring the power, the glory of our King of Kings
head. Just give the Lord a shout of praise again this morning. Thank you, Lord. I pray that as you leave this place and go out into the world, that today as every day, that you will live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day in the Lord.
tongue will confess. Amen. Sí. 
days of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood neath the dirt we could never afford and our sins they are many his mercy is more so much
Your voice it thunders The oaks start twisting The forest sounds with cedars breaking The waters see you And start their writhing From the depths the sun is rising from the Cry. 